All right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to uh, 1 Kings 20. Yes, we're in 1 Kings 20, actually. And uh, we're just going to dive in here because we have a lot to cover. Well, here's here's where we are in our series. Loyalty in times of apostasy. Life and ministry of Elijah. Here's where we are. We've made our way through chapter 17 through 19 of 1 Kings. And we've studied the major events in the lives and times of Elijah the prophet. And we've seen the big miracles that Elijah is famous for, and rightly so. Chapter 17, fed by ravens, the jar and the jug that never become empty, the the raising of the widow's little boy from death. I mean, that was amazing. First time that happened in the Bible. Chapter 18, we've seen fire and we've seen rain on Mount Carmel. And then we saw and heard earth, wind, and fire on Mount Sinai that was followed by the sound of silence. So we've had our 60s review there of Elijah. But here's what I hope. I hope you've seen more than just the big miracles that that we associate with Elijah. I hope you've seen the God of the Old Testament, the Lord in all caps. And that's why in our notes, I've just, I'm going to do what we do in our Bible so that we realize this isn't just a generic God, G-O-D. This is the Lord, L-O-R-D, the Yahweh, the I am God. As a God of great holiness and great gentleness, we've seen both here in the Old Testament. As a God of great judgment and great mercy, we've seen both. And we're going to see more of it today. And as a God whose great love remains loyal to His people even in the worst of times. I hope you're seeing that the Lord is the great hero of the story. And how much we need His Son to come and be our mediator as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. As great as Elijah is, we've seen Elijah's failings and even disobedience. But I also hope that you're seeing that you, you, each of you, can be a hero in God's story. You can be part of the loyal remnant that always remains faithful even in the worst of times. How you can be like that Baal-worshipping widow, and you can actually be born again. You, you, can, you can convert and believe in the one true God. You can be in a dead-end situation like that little boy, and God can raise you up out of that by your faith in Him. How you can be a faithful servant, even in the most secular of workplaces, like Obadiah, who had to work for Ahab and Jezebel. How you can be a nobody that comes out of nowhere, like Elijah, and still be a voice of the Lord when everybody's turning away from God's Word. And how you can recover from the depression of unfulfilled expectations like Elijah. And you can get out of your cave and get back into the fight. This is the God that we're seeing in this series. But above all, I hope you're learning how you can remain loyal even in the worst of times. Now, our study is more than about personalities. We've seen Elijah, the loyal prophet, 
Ahab the apostate, Jezebel the wicked queen. But it's also about a war of world views. Who is the one true God? Is it Yahweh or is it Baal? Is it the God of the Bible or is it the God of man's making? And in the last three chapters of 1 Kings 20, 21, and 22, we're going to shift from a focus on Elijah to a focus on Ahab. Now, a lot of expositors, as they move through Elijah's life, they'll skip over these, these chapters Uh, they'll skip over 20, go to 21 where Elijah shows up, and then go on to 2 Kings where he goes up in the fiery chariot. But I think that's unfortunate. I mean, that'd be like watching Star Wars and focusing on Luke Skywalker and not talking about Darth Vader. It's just, it's the rest of the story, right? And so we don't want to miss what's going on in these three chapters. So today is an overview of 20 through 22. And 17 through 19 have focused on the loyalty of Elijah. These three chapters are going to focus on the apostasy of Ahab. And chapters 20 through 22 remind you that no matter how bad it gets, apostasy will fail to prevail in the end. So let's say that together. We're a little wet. We're kind of mildewing apostasy will fail to prevail. So say that together. Apostasy will fail to prevail. And that's the idea. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Remember, uh, First and Second Kings are not two books. There's one book. And so that's another reason for not skipping around. Let's, we're just moving through. And um, we won't see the end of Elijah's ministry until we get to Second Kings. And from here on out, Elijah takes a much smaller role. He doesn't show up in 20. He shows up in 21, and then he doesn't show up in 22 and doesn't reappear until the first two chapters of 2 Kings. Now, we should be prepared for that because the end of chapter 19, God said, Look, Elijah, you say you're the only one, but it isn't about you. You're not the only one. I can work through others. So it doesn't surprise us now that Elijah takes a short, a smaller role, and we're going to see eventually that Elisha, his disciple, is the one that's going to become more prominent. So let's take a look at this. And by the way, just because Elijah diminishes now, uh, the cool thing is he's going to play big in the New Testament. He'll show up. Uh, in the ministry of Jesus, he'll show up in the spirit uh, of John the Baptist, and I believe he'll even show up before the great tribulation as uh, he, and I believe Moses, not for sure, but I, it sure seems that way, will arrive before the Antichrist and prepare for the second coming of the Lord. Some amazing trends there. But here's what I want to say this morning. Will apostasy prevail in the end. Because basically what we're going to see is Ahab is going to try to rule as king over Israel as one who has fallen away from the faith. How is that going to work out for him? And so you have your chart. You can look at that. Basically, we're going to just teach through that. But if you want to kind of see how these tie together, listen, the Bible is an inspired text. There's just beautiful things to see if you'll read it. 
And if you'll read it and observe how God ties these things together, I hope I can help you do a little bit of that as we move through. So let's look at 1 Kings 20. And here's the question. Why is there always a payday someday for apostates? And I say payday someday because chapter 21 is about Ahab and his neighbor Naboth. And there's a famous sermon, Payday Someday by R.G. Lee. Some of you may know about it, some of you can You can actually Google that. You can actually hear it and see it. It's still there on the internet. But that's what this is about. Is there a payday someday for apostates or do they get away with it all in the end? Well, let's look at it. Here's the first thing you want to see. Chapter 20 uh, through 22 is all about this. Apostates and their apostasy will always fail to prevail in the end. Main thing, all three chapters are about. And it's about Ahab, the apostate, who fails to prevail as king over Israel. That's what ties these three chapters together. And there's these little clues to that as you read through these three chapters. In fact, Jezebel herself says to him in chapter 21, 7, Are you king over Israel or not? Guys, wouldn't you love your husband or your wife to say that to you? Are you the king or what? Okay, so even Jezebel, the wicked Baal worshiper, says, look, you're a lousy ruler. But the Lord himself says in 1 Kings 22, so the prophet Micaiah said, I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. In other words, Ahab, you're no king, you're no leader, you're no shepherd. These are sheep without a shepherd. So Ahab fails to prevail as king. So let's take a look at it. 1 Kings 20, first chapter. Let's look. Ahab fails to execute the Lord's brutal enemy. That's the whole idea of chapter 20. He fails to execute the Lord's brutal enemy. Now, here's what happens. King Ben-Hadad of Aram swears he will overwhelmingly conquer Ahab's kingdom. Now, this is interesting because we already know from chapter 19 that the Lord has sovereignly declared that another king of Aram, King Hazael, will one day crush Samaria. And when he does it, he's first going to kill this Ben-Hadad. So we already know how this is going to turn out. So, But, of course, Israel doesn't know that. Uh, only Elijah knows that. So here's what happens. He swears he'll overwhelmingly conquer Ahab's kingdom. And he swears to his pagan gods. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. Here it is in the CSB. Then Behadad or Ben Hadad sent messengers to Ahab and said, May the gods punish me and do so severely if Samaria's dust amounts to a handful for each of the people who follow me. He says, I'm going to crush you, I'm going to pulverize you, and there won't even be enough left of you to give a handful of dust to each of my soldiers. Wow. Now, second. 
This is going to happen. He has over 127,000 in his army, and we're going to see that Israel, at the best, has 7,000. He is going to crush him. But number two, the Lord shows grace, grace in judgment. And he sends an unnamed prophet to tell Ahab, the Lord is going to deliver you. Not only once, but he's going to do it twice. Ben-Hadad is going to come, and I'm going to enable you to beat him once. And then in the spring, he's going to try it again. Because the first battle was in the mountains. And in their pagan worldview, they said, well... Their God must be the God of the mountains. Let's battle them down on the plains. And we can beat them down on the plains. So they come back in the spring. And the unnamed prophet says, look, you're going to beat them twice. Because God has grace. Now, do you realize how gracious this is? This is Ahab, the apostate. This is Israel that has turned their backs on God, even after Mount Carmel. And God comes in and sends an unnamed prophet and says, look... I'm going to enable you to conquer your enemies, not once, but twice. And as you read through this story, it's amazing because God says, look, I want you to use your youngest men to lead the battle. Why? Because I'm going to get the glory. Then in the second battle, Israel is described as two little flocks of goats surrounded by this mighty hundred thousand army. So the idea, again, is, look, this isn't about you, King Ahab. This isn't about your strength, your wealth, your weapons. It's about me. And when I'm on your side, you can conquer even the worst of enemies. And the story goes on, and there's echoes of the battle of Jericho in this battle. That's ironic. Why? Because Ahab had already rebuilt Jericho, defying God's curse to never rebuild that city. So here's this guy that doesn't deserve a thing from God. And yet the Old Testament God is showing him grace and is going to enable him to conquer. How does Ahab respond? Look at number three. King Ahab obeys the word of the Lord to a point, but fails to execute the Lord's brutal enemy. So the little flock of the army conquers the 100,000 army strong of Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad makes a run for it and hides in his inner chamber. An inner chamber had no windows. He's, He's hiding. He's like in a closet, right? And his servants come to him and say, Hey, Ben-Hadad, Looks like you're going to be executed. But we've heard the kings of Israel are very merciful. Maybe if you go humble yourself, they will spare your life. So Ben-Hadad comes to King Ahab and says, look, I'm your servant. And uh, and this is when he's already, before he said, look, I'm going to crush you, right? I'm, I'm over you. Now he's saying, hey, I'm your servant. Guess what Ahab does? Ahab, instead of being a faithful king who executes God's enemy as God requires in the covenant, Ahab says, oh, welcome, my brother. And then he cuts a covenant with him and goes and lives in covenant faithfulness with a pagan. You know, Kim's like looking at me like, what? What? Exactly. That's how you should be looking. This guy says, oh, my brother, I'm not only going to give you my life, I'm going to welcome. And he welcomes him into his chariot. And they cut this covenant of peace. Uh, I'd say he fails. 
as God's covenant king. Number four, a certain prophet of the Lord comes to pronounce, reap what you sow judgment on Ahab. And you're going to see this in every chapter. God sends his prophet to pronounce, reap what you sow. That is God's judgment throughout the Bible. But we see it again and again in the Old Testament and the New. Listen, God is very gracious and he's very just. He says, if this is what you want, then this is what I'll give you. This is what you want, this is what I give you. And so, look at verse 42. Look at verse 42 and see what he says to Ahab. He said to him, Thus says the Lord, the promise-keeping God, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I have devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. Do you see what's happening? It's reap what you sow. You let him live when he was supposed to die, so now you're going to die. You let his people live when you should have uh, utterly destroyed them out of their unbelief and as my divine judgment, now your people are going to be judged. So what do we see from this? Well, we see a couple things. That the word of the Lord rules over all in the end. So no matter how big the enemy is, God can make a smaller army defeat a larger army simply by the word. But also that the word of the Lord pronounces judgment on Ahab. You didn't execute my just judgment, so now you and your kingdom is going to be wiped out. So here's the principle. Notice in your notes it says, apostasy denies the Lord's covenant retribution. The Lord's covenant retribution. What do I mean that? Apostates always deny hell. That's what I'm saying. Apostates will always deny God's just condemnation. They reject it. And they say, look, the unbelieving won't go to hell. All will be saved. Universalism, whatever you want to call it, inclusivism. And But God says, when you reject my judgment, that shows that you're an unbeliever and you're going to suffer the judgment that you're denying. All right? Pretty profound principle right there in the Old Testament. Now, how does King Ahab respond to this? How would you respond to this? How should he respond to it? Well, look at verse 43. So the king of Israel went to his house, and in the New American Standard, sullen and vexed, and came to Samaria. So basically, he goes home, and he has a pity party. Basically, but it's more than that. When you trace these words, sullen means an embittered and resentful attitude at being told what you don't want to hear. Now, every parent here ought to say, I've seen that. I may not call it sullen, but I know what that is, right? And then vexed is sometimes translated anger, angry. It's the raging anger that's filled with frustration when things don't go your way. Now, when you trace these words out, when you, when you trace these, these words out, Jeremy, yes, join the fellowship. <laughs> when you, uh, when you tra- although I'm all out of balance now, because I don't have, I know you're, you, you, so here's the deal. 
when you trace these words out in the Old Testament, I mean, you could do a whole lesson on this. These are the attitudes in the Bible of a hard-hearted, stubborn rebel. I can't develop that more, but I can show it to you again and again. These are the attitudes of a hard-hearted, stiff-necked, stubborn rebel. What is going on? Even though, and here's what happens a lot of times with rebels. His personality was weak. The man couldn't stand up to anyone, any man or any woman that he was around. And yet in his heart, he was a very strong, stubborn rebel. And when he didn't get his way, he went home. And instead of repenting, humbling himself, he'd say, Lord, I know I blew it. I should have killed him. I, I repent. Give me a second chance. He goes home with an embittered, resentful, angry, frustrated spirit. You see, Ahab is like many professing believers. God's okay when you need him to fix things. But fully obeying him from the heart in all things, I didn't sign up for that. And when the Lord says, well, there's consequences when you disobey me, we can get embittered and angry towards the Lord. There's some great lessons in this. Now, we're going to go through each of these chapters, but I'm just wanting you to see tie-ins. Okay, now, there you go. Now, can unbelief... Now, this is just chapter 20. Do you think this guy can get worse? Chapter 21. Here we go. 1 Kings 21. Ahab fails to embolden the Lord's loyal remnant. Now you say, why'd you use that? Because I needed an E. That's why. And that's true, and that's just how I am. But it's a great word. I almost used encourage. But encourage, we kind of like, oh yeah, way to go, encourage. No, embolden is a, is, a, is a word of weight and significance. It means to impart strength and courage to another person. And this is what the king of Israel was supposed to do. The king of Israel was to set an example of obedient love for the one true God and then strengthen and encourage and embolden his subjects to follow him in following the Lord. Well, rather than embolden his subjects, we're going to see in chapter 21 that Ahab exploits his subjects. We're going to see that he exploits his next-door neighbor. Now, we just went through Sermon on the Mount, the golden rule. What is the whole law? To love the Lord your God with all his heart and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we saw in chapter 20, he doesn't love the Lord with all his heart. Now in chapter 21, we're going to see he doesn't love his neighbor because he exploits him and oppresses him, even though he's the powerful one. So imagine living next door to the king. You know, you ever had neighbor issues? We're having some fun issues. I won't say any more about that. You know, you got to work together, get things done. Well, this little Naboth guy, he owns a vineyard right next to the summer palace of Ahab in Jezreel. Well, let's see what happens. He doesn't, uh, the king does not embolden. Now, here's what he does. Number one, the king Ahab covets his neighbor's vineyard. 
and seeks to trade or pay for it. He says, hey, Naboth, you got this little vineyard right next to my summer palace. And of all things, I want to take this grape vineyard and turn it into a veggie garden. Now you say, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is the vineyard was always a picture of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's basically, it's his apostate thinking. There's a beautiful vineyard. I want to turn it into a vegetable garden. And I'll trade you and give you another one, or I will pay you for it. Verse uh, number two. Naboth rejects the offer out of loyalty to the Lord and his family. Naboth rejects the offer. Look at verse three. Little Naboth, I don't know how tall he was, that's not the point, little in power. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. You know what he's saying? First of all, he swears to the Lord. He says, for me to do this would be disloyal to the Lord, and it would dishonor my father. Oop, there we go, the law again. Love the Lord. I, it would be disloyal to him, and it would dishonor. And what's the first commandment towards others? Honor your father and your mother. So you see, here's what I want you to see. Poor Elijah. It's only me, Lord. It's only me that's remained loyal. And we've already seen a pagan widow turn to the Lord in Zarephath. We have seen Obadiah. Be a faithful servant to Yahweh in the midst of the evil kingdom. We know there's a hundred prophets hidden in caves that have been loyal to the Lord. And here we see the neighbor Naboth. Folks, you're not the only one. Don't lose heart. Can I get an amen? You're not the only one. And you need to be that one to someone else. Are you with me? So he says, look, I'm not going to do this. And he swears an oath. We've seen the pagan gang swears to a false god. How'd that turn out for him? Now we see the loyal turn, swear to the Lord and says, look, I'm not going to do this. I don't care if you're the king. I don't care if you can crush me. I'm not going to do this. Now, how does King Ahab respond to this? This is, beautiful. This is why you read chapters. Look at verse 4 of chapter 21. So Ahab came into his house... Sullen and vexed because the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, he turned away his face, and he ate no food. You bet, Kirk. I mean, it's just like, I'm going to go to bed. I'm, 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 I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm not going to look at anybody, I'm not going to talk to anybody, and I'm not coming to the dinner table. And we can all see that. In children, the question is, can we see that in our own hearts? And that's exactly what he did. Now, look at, look at the comparison. The first time he did it, when the word of the Lord came to him, this time he does it when... The word of a loyal remnant comes to him. You see, a lot of times the pushback you get is not about you. If you're speaking the word, the pushback is to the Lord. And sometimes you've got to remember that, right? So, 
he's pouting, and uh, what happens next? Number three, Queen Jezebel steps in and acts like the false goddess and false prophetess that she is. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, is that in, in the... Uh, let me make sure I'm saying this right. Yes. There is an unfaithful or a false prophet in each one of these chapters. Except that in this chapter, it's like, well, no one's declared a false prophet. But Jezebel talks like she's a god a goddess, and she talks like she is a prophetess. And she was. She considered herself both. She considered herself a false priest or a priestess, a prophetess, and a god. And listen to the words that she speaks. Look at verses 5 through 7. Let's read these. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him. So she's got to go to the bedroom. She's talking to the back of his head, right? Wondered why he wasn't at dinner that night. She said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen? How is it that you're so embittered, so moody, so depressed and discouraged that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and I said to him, Give me your vineyard for money. Or else, if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. You see the repetition? This chapter is all about possessions and who, uh, who does the land belong to and who can give it. Look at verse 7. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Are you king or not? Arise, eat bread... And let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now, the, she, now, if you remember as we've moved through these verses, who has been telling people to arise, get up, and eat in this storyline? It's been the Lord telling Elijah, his servant, arise, get up, and eat. I'll take care of you. Well, she's talking like a god. She's saying, get up. Eat, I'm in control of this, and I, I, the goddess, will give you what you want. Oh, people, please beware of the world when they promise you what your heart's desires, and they have no right and no ability to give it to you. Trust in the Lord. Okay, so what happens? She acts, uh, and she does what she does best. She manipulates the situation. She uh, basically gets two worthless guys to give false witness against Naboth and say that he has cursed God and the king, which is the opposite. It's what they're doing. And the people of Israel are foolish enough. They stone Naboth and they take him outside this city. They stone him. He bleeds and the dogs lick up his blood. A shameful death for an honorable man. And so number four, two worthless men give false witness against Naboth and he's stoned to death for cursing God and the king. And so as soon as Jezebel hears the news, he, he, like, a, like a wicked manipulator she is, other people do his, her dirty work. And as soon as she gets the news, she turns to uh, Ahab and says, get up and go get what you wanted. And Ahab gets up and goes get what he wanted. But the question is, will apostasy 
prevail in the end. Let's see what happens. But before that, here's the principle. Apostasy despises the Lord's covenant revelation. Apostasy despises the Lord's covenant revelation. Apostasy, they will claim they believe this book. They will claim they preach this book. But if you listen carefully, they will despise this book. And so what you see is apostates rebel against God's just commands to love Him with all their heart and to love others. When we do this story in detail, we'll see that God's law had specific laws and commands about your inheritance. Naboth took God's word seriously. Ahab the apostate said, I don't care what God says. I want it. And Jezebel said, I'll get it for you. And Ahab got what he wanted. Be careful of getting what you want. Number five, what happens? The theme of the prophet comes back. Elijah shows up. Maybe he just got back from Mount Sinai. We don't know. Elijah is sent by the Lord to pronounce, reap what you sow judgment on Ahab and Jezebel. And so what we see is payday someday will surely come. And that's basically what Elijah says. He says, look, you have despised the word of the Lord. You have exploited your neighbor and you both are going to die. And the reap what you sow, he says this, just like the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will lick up your blood. You shame this man, I will shame you. And remember, just because the Lord apostates won't prevail doesn't mean God's people won't martyr. God's people won't suffer. See, the Lord took note, but He didn't intervene. But He did bring judgment, or He will. And that's what He promises. Okay, now, now here's what's really freaky, and we can't get deep into this. We'll do it when we do chapter 21. How does Ahab respond to this? Now, what would you think he would respond to this? Sullen and vexed, right? And have a power. No! Lo and behold, Ahab in verses, let's see, what is it? Verses uh, 27 through 29 humbles himself before the Lord. Whoa, we didn't see that coming. He humbles himself, and the Lord, in His grace, takes notice, and He says, Hey, Elijah, see what he's doing over there? I will delay his judgment until he dies. I'm still going to judge him, but it's not going to happen in his lifetime. That's grace. That's mercy. Does this guy deserve it? No! Has he sincerely repented? No, there's another chapter coming. No! But did he humble himself? Yeah, that's how eager God is to impart grace to you this morning. And it's only our proud hearts that stand in that way. Humble yourself before. God delights. He resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. So, here we go. Has Ahab actually repented? Is it a real change of heart? 
Has the apostate who fell away, has he come home? Has the prodigal come home? The answer is found in chapter 22, 1 Kings 22. We made it to the third chapter. Ahab fails to esteem the Lord's prophet. He fails to esteem, to honor, and obey the Lord's prophet. This is what chapter 22 is about. Now, here's what's interesting. Look at the beginning of chapter 22. Look at verses 1 and 2. This chapter takes place three years later. God has already declared, Ahab, you're going down. You and your household, you're going down. Ahab humbles himself. God graciously gives him three more years that he doesn't deserve. And he promises the judgment won't come on your family. You won't see it. It'll come after you die. So he gives him three, three more years. So again, we see the merciful God of the Old Testament. Number one, here's what King Ahab the fool does. King Ahab talks King Jehoshaphat of Judah into attacking King Ben-Hadad of Aram. This is not wise. Why do I say that? Is Aram stronger than Israel? Yes. The only way Israel conquered Aram when Aram attacked them was because the Lord intervened. Is Ahab talking to the Lord about this? No. He's got King Jehoshaphat, who probably shouldn't be hanging out with King Ahab, by the way. He's come up from the south, and and Ahab sees an opportunity. He says, look, You've got an army. I've got an army. I can get back at Ben-Hadad. Let's attack Ben-Hadad. That's verses 1 and 2. Well, here's King Jehoshaphat's response. Number 2, King Jehoshaphat esteems the Lord and his word more than King Ahab. And he says, I want to hear from the Lord before I go to war. Well, actually, Jehoshaphat said, I'll go to war with you, then let's check on the Lord. Kind of like the old make a plan and then ask God to bless it type mentality. Jehoshaphat is more godly than Ahab, but he's not making wise decisions here, okay? And so what happens is Judah's king desires a true prophet. He says, look, is there not? And it's a fascinating story. There's 400 false prophets of the Lord. There's one true prophet. Alert, remnant alert. One more loyal remnant. A guy by the, a prophet by the name of Micaiah. Micaiah is a faithful prophet. How he survives in that land, I don't know. We don't, we're not told. Um, so 400 false prophets say, go to war, you'll win. And Jehoshaphat says, there's got to be one true prophet around here. Is there not one true prophet? I want to hear from a true prophet. Ahab says, yeah, there's this one guy, but I don't lie. I hate him. He always predicts evil of me. Never good. This is apostasy. You gather, listen, you gather preachers and teachers that tell you what you want to hear. You gather ear ticklers who won't talk about judgment, who won't talk about sin, who won't confront your worldview. And so he he says, okay, I'll bring him in because you desire it. Because King King Ahab despises the true prophet. And the true prophet comes in and says, don't go. If you go, you die. 
Okay, what happens? Number three, the prophet Micaiah, Micaiah pronounces, reap what you sow judgment on Ahab if you go to war. Basically, he says this. He declares the true word, and he says, look, if you go and defy the Lord, you die. Okay, you'll get what you deserve. Number four, King Ahab. Now, here's what's fascinating. King Ahab, the apostate, goes to war in a disguise, and he seeks to deceive the Lord, the enemy, and King Jehoshaphat. He goes, look, I'm going to go anyway, but since they say I'm going to die, I'm going to dress like a common soldier and have my armor underneath. You think he's fooling the Lord? And here's... and, and, and really what he does, he says, Jehoshaphat, you wear your royal robes. I'm going to go in disguise. Don't partner with someone that's going to give you up. Okay? This is craziness. And Jehoshaphat goes, here's the deal. Here's the principle for you to get. Apostasy deceptively defies the Lord's covenant reign. The Lord's covenant reign. Apostates refuse to recognize God's just control over all things in the universe, including them. Here's what Ahab's saying. Lord, I know you're in charge of everything, but you know what? I'm going to wear this, this, this Halloween costume, and I'm going to deceive you. And he tries to deceive God's king, too, Jehoshaphat. How's this going to turn out? Not good. Number five, the prophet Micaiah, hard to say these things, Micaiah, Prediction comes true in God's providence. God's providence is what happens. We've seen this as a theme all throughout Elijah's story. Because here's what happens. King Ahab is in this disguise, and it says a random soldier, a random archer, pulls back an arrow and shoots randomly. And that arrow just so happens to find Ahab, and not just any place on Ahab. It strikes Ahab in the joints of his armor where it mortally wounds him, or at least wounds him. He begins to bleed all over his chariot. He knows the enemy is going to torture him. The brutal enemy, King Ben-Hadad. And so he commits suicide and falls on his own sword. Reap what you sow judgment. You think the word of the Lord is in control of all things in the end? It's in control of a pagan soldier, of a flying arrow that strikes at just the right point. Payday, someday, will surely come. Why? Number two, and here's where we'll wrap up. Apostasy fails to prevail because the word of the Lord rules over all. The word of the Lord rules over all. Here's what I'm saying to you. You forsake this book like apostates do. You deny the gospel. You defy God's word. And you try to deceive others to do the same. God's word will rule in the end. Don't forsake this book. Don't forsake coming here. Don't forsake learning. Don't forsake reading it. 
If you're not in that book, you're a functional apostate. Let me say that again. If you're not in this book, you are functioning like an atheist and apostate who says, oh, I believe it. Well, at least an apostate. I believed it, but I'm not going to live by it. So here, let me give you two things to wrap these three chapters up. Why does the word of the Lord rule over all? It's very interesting. In chapter 20, two times the Lord says this, I'm going to give you victory in chapter 20 so that you may know that I am the Lord. The first time he says it, it's singular, and he's talking to Ahab. And he says, Ahab, you rascally apostate, I want you to know. I want you to know that I am the Lord. The second time he says it, he says it in the plural. And I believe he's referring not only to Ahab and all of Israel, he's referring to the enemy, the Arameans. And he says, I want you all to know that I am the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful God? He says, you pagans, you, you unreached peoples in Miramar, where Richard is at, I want you to know that I am the Lord and that I love you and I want to save you and bring you under my kingdom rule. And he says to an apostate who has fallen away from him and denies him and is deceiving others to reject him, and he says, I love you. I want to bring you back under my rule. And he says to God's faithful people here, This morning, I want you to remain loyal to me. I want you to know that I am the Lord. Isn't that good? So here's two things to end with. If you don't know this God, repent because he's delaying your judgment, but he is not denying it. But out of loving, long-suffering love and a desire to see you saved, He wants you to repent this morning and trust His mediator, His Son, Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is now the Word that rules over all. Are you with me? Repent and run to Him. And He's saying... If you already know me and you're in covenant relationship with me, then live like it and remain loyal even though the days will grow dark. Amen? Because you can be a Naboth. You can remain loyal. You can be a, you can be a Micaiah and speak the word when no one's listening. You can be an Obadiah, a faithful servant, in a secular, hostile world. This is, what the, this is what this book's about. we got three great weeks coming up. Amen? Good stuff. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you uh, that you are long-suffering or I'd be in big trouble. We'd all be in big trouble. Thank you, Lord, that your word rules. Lord, help our unbelief. We know this mentally. We know this in our head. But help us to trust it in our hearts when times are hard. When people more powerful than us seek to exploit us, help us to remain loyal. When apostates and false teachers seek to deceive us, 
Help us to remain loyal. But Lord, most of all, forgive us for not treasuring your word in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to remain loyal as a people that not only hear your word, but do it. And Lord, help us to feed upon it as our daily bread. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, that was a flyover. Read these next three, read these chapters. Take that chart, look at it while you read, and make the connections. I think you'll be encouraged.